Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 137 of See It or Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on all the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week in Oscar Outlook, I give you an update on the major Oscar races now that the nominations are out. For our featured movies this week, director Ava DuVernay returns to screens with an adaptation of a best-selling book. Jenna Ortega seeks revenge on a teacher. Jodie Comer goes on a journey for survival, and a family lives among the atrocities of the Holocaust. Let's get started. First up, a renowned author turns to a centuries-old system for inspiration. This is Origin. You go and write your stories. Folks need to know about that. You're trying to make sense of racism, but your thesis is flawed. They knew we weren't inferior. You don't escape trauma by ignoring it. You escape trauma by confronting it. I don't write questions. I write answers. Oscar-nominated actress Ingenue Ellis Taylor plays author Isabel Wilkerson. One night after a lecture on her book, The Warmth of Other Suns, she is approached by her editor, played by Blair Underwood, who pitches that she write about the Trayvon Martin tragedy in Florida. She initially resists because what she wants to do with the story would take a lengthy amount of time, and this is a story that is in the news at the moment. At home, Isabel and her husband Brett, played by John Barenthal, begin searching for an assisted living home for her mother. Soon after her mother settles into her new home, Isabel faces the impact of multiple tragedies within a short period of time. As a catharsis, she decides to write her book inspired by the Trayvon Martin tragedy called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. Instead of being tempted to write a straightforward account of the impact of race on the Martin case, she decides to link the effects of American slavery to the crimes of the Holocaust and the Indian caste system showing how they are all interconnected in a cyclical way meant to oppress society as a whole. Through research at home and abroad, Isabel faces pushback from friends and professionals alike as she looks to show how oppression is rooted not in race, but in the dehumanization by a dominant class. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See-it. This is such a powerful movie. A few weeks ago, it was shown as Regal's Monday Mystery Movie, and it was suspected that that was going to be the one they would be showing, and I was excited, but honestly, I was expecting a lot of people to walk out. I thought maybe people would find it a bit heavy-handed in its messaging and feel like they were being lectured at for nearly two and a half hours, but hardly anybody walked out, and that tells you how good of a storyteller Ava DuVernay was with this film. It's not overly preachy, and the messaging to me felt like, oh wow, look how they're all connected. And it really brings a new viewpoint about what's really going on with race relations in our country and the world. Ingenue Ellis Taylor was excellent in this role, and I'm disappointed that she and the film got absolutely no love by the Academy this year. But if you've been listening, I have been saying that I think the studio dropped the ball on this and waited too long to have it gain any sort of traction during awards season. With that said, it is a heavy film, 
and it is not one that I would call feel-good or even entertaining. So if you're not into heavy, emotional, borderline educational films, this is not going to be for you. However, I love social messaging movies, and this was gripping. If you like movies like that, you're going to love this one. Next, a high school teacher goes too far in inspiring his student. This is Miller's Girl. It's like he's been living in grayscale and you're the first thing he's ever seen in color. You are the adult. Show some responsibility. You are my student and I'm your teacher. That's all. If she can convince them that something happened between us, I could lose my job. It's not all you could lose. You can ruin his life. Played by Jenna Ortega, Cairo Sweet describes herself as entirely unremarkable. She is a wealthy teenager living alone in a mansion in Tennessee as her lawyer parents are working abroad. She spends her time with her friend Winnie, played by Gideon Adlon, and the two work up various schemes which include seducing their teachers at school. A vociferous reader and writer, Cairo makes a connection with her English writing teacher, Jonathan Miller, played by Martin Freeman. Miller is a published author who seems to be suffering from a lack of inspiration and has turned to teaching to occupy his time. It is a career path that is disdained by his alcoholic wife Beatrice, played by Dagmara Dominchik. Impressed at her writing talent, Miller offers Cairo the opportunity to get a head start on her midterm paper, as he sees it as a chance to mentor a future writer and mold the paper into her college application portfolio. The assignment is to write a story in the style of her favorite author. She chooses the controversial and hypersexualized writings of Henry Miller, an author so scandalous he is banned from instruction in high school. And I'm sure he's banned in Florida, that's for sure. Initially resistant, Mr. Miller agrees to let her try. In the meantime, the two begin a questionable friendship by meeting after school and off campus at various writing events. They truly see each other, or so they think. When Cairo writes her essay and produces a highly inappropriate story about a forbidden teacher-student relationship, Mr. Miller begins to pull away and tells her he cannot accept the story. Spurned, Cairo decides to exact revenge by blackmailing her teacher. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it. And I give this film a... Shove it. Oh, where do I start with this film? This felt right out of the late 80s, mid-90s psychological thriller library. And that's not a compliment. The storyline gave me the creeps, as I'm sure it was intended to, but it just wasn't something that was exciting to me. The performances were all pretty much standard, and the woman who played Beatrice was way overacting. That, oh, she was terrible. You never doubted how this was going to end, and it was such an unrealistic portrayal of what high school is. The teachers were smoking with the students, using foul language right at them in class. That would never happen in a public school system. Ever. Jenna Ortega does her best, but it's still not very good considering what she is working with. Martin Freeman is a normally capable actor, but again, with a script this shitty, there's only so much she can do. Trust me, you've seen this all before, it ends the same way as the others, and there's nothing worth spending your time or money to go see this. Next up, in the midst of an ecological crisis, a woman goes on a dangerous journey. This is the end we start from. <laughs> it isn't real anymore. Hi. What you miss doesn't exist. Oh, 
I'm just, just like having a moment, you know. Based on Megan Hunter's novel, Emmy winner Jodie Comer plays a character called Mother, who at the beginning of the film goes into labor in the middle of a torrential rainstorm that begins to flood her home, as well as the entire city of London. Making it to the hospital, she gives birth and then finds her home demolished by the flood. She and her husband, played by Joel Fry, then relocate to his parents' house where they will stay temporarily. Soon, a tragedy happens, leaving the couple to return to London where they fight among the other displaced residents for food rations, leaving them to make a decision for the safety of their child where mother and child will stay within a shelter. She is initially resistant to this because she doesn't want to be separated from her husband, but realizes it is for the best. At the shelter, she befriends another mother, played by Catherine Waterston, and when the shelter is raided, they go on a dangerous journey through woods and fields seeking a safe haven. I give this film a... See it. This movie was pretty good. It kept my attention throughout, and it had me wondering where it was going to end up. Jodie Comer is a wonderful actress, and she is great in everything she's in. This is no exception. The undertones of this film sort of had me reflecting on how we evolved as a country during the COVID pandemic. At the beginning of that pandemic, people were saying how, oh, it's going to make people appreciate each other more. I remember saying, absolutely not. It's going to make people far more selfish than they've ever been, and they're going to forget how to behave in public. And here we are. This film shows the desperation and selfishness that grows in people when they're faced with a crisis and plays it off pretty nicely. I did sometimes question the motives of Comer's character, but I understood ultimately where she was going and what she was trying to do by the end. It's not the best film I've seen, but it's compelling enough with good performances to make it worth seeing. But honestly, I would wait for it to come to streaming. It may play better on TV. Finally, a family blindly goes through life with atrocities existing nearby. This is the zone of interest. Oscar-nominated director Jonathan Glazer adapts Martin Amis's novel about a family living among the horrors of Auschwitz. Christian Friedel plays Rudolf Hoss, a commandant of the concentration camp that is literally in his backyard. Hoss's house is situated on the other side of the camp's wall. He lives there with his wife Hedwig, played by Oscar nominee Sandra Hewler, and their children. It is their dream house that contains a lavish yard with a pool, a greenhouse, and beautiful landscaping. The couple raise their children as if everything around them is normal. They send them to school each morning and read them bedtime stories at night, all while screams of horror and gunshots are heard in the background. Ignoring the smokestacks that emit the smell of death and billowing smoke in the air, Hedvig refuses to acknowledge anything outside of the four walls of her dream home, even going as far as enjoying receiving packages of clothing, presumably of the women who were killed on the trains bringing occupants to the camp. Will this family ever come to terms with the violent genocide happening over the fence in their yard? I give this film a...
See it. So, this film is nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. But I warn you, it is slow as molasses, and not much happens on screen that I would label as overly interesting. And that does make the film drag if you're not paying attention. However, the real impactful aspect of this film is not what you see, but what you don't see. It's all the sounds of the camp behind the house that makes what's going on on screen that much more upsetting that these people can live among this without a care in the world. They're living their dream lives while the horrors of someone else's life is going on literally behind them. The performances are all very cold, as they should be with these characters. The star of this film, however, is the score and the sound editing, as opposed to the performances and the screenplay. I did want to like this a lot more than I did because it is sometimes tediously slow, but what leans me into recommending this is just the emotional feeling you get by watching it, knowing what's going on off screen, and juxtaposing that with what's going on on the screen. It really stayed with me, even though I found it to be slow. I'm still thinking about it today, one day after seeing it. You know, it's not my favorite of the Best Picture nominees, but it is quite effective. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Origin is in theaters now and is a huge see-it, and it's my pick of the week. Miller's Girl is in theaters now and is a shove-it. The End We Start From is in select theaters now and is a see-it. And The Zone of Interest is in theaters now and will be part of Theater Chain's Oscar showcase in the coming weeks, so it will probably be coming around you soon if you wanted to see it and it is a see it now on to my brief take of some additional movies i've watched this week in my segment quick picks lift is a by the numbers heist movie starring kevin hart as an operative teaming up with an ex-girlfriend and the fbi to steal 500 million dollars in gold off a passenger jet mid-flight there's nothing special about this one and it is streaming on netflix and is a shove it but it's not a complete waste of time either it may be something to turn on during a rainy day Roleplay, starring kaylee kuoko david oyelowo and oscar-nominated actor bill nye is about a woman living a double life as an assassin whose family is turned upside down after a job goes wrong one night. Like Lyft, it is a by-the-numbers movie and something you've seen before, another one of those rainy day movies that makes time pass but isn't very good. It is streaming on Amazon Prime Video and is a shove-it. And The Underdogs, with two Gs, stars Snoop Dogg as a football player who is sentenced to community service and serves it by coaching a group of misfit Pop Warner players. It is a fun yet vulgar take on films such as The Bad News Bears, but only if they were being coached by the film Bad Santa. I'd go as far as to say it's a good family film as long as you're comfortable with endless fall language. But trust me, as a teacher in an elementary school, I hate to tell you, your kids know and use that language. Just saying. It is a see it and is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Moving on, it's time for the segment where I let you know the latest titles now available for home viewing. This is now streaming. Dennis Quaid stars in The Hill. 
a true story about Major League Baseball player Ricky Hill's inspirational life story of overcoming a degenerative spinal disease to become a pro ball player. It's some hokey stuff, but if you're into sappy stories like that, you may enjoy it. It is now streaming on Netflix, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 104. Shortcomings tells the story of an aspiring filmmaker who is faced with evaluating his relationship when his girlfriend moves across the country. It was an enjoyable little film with decent performances. It is coming to Netflix on Thursday, February 1st, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 100. Dick's The Musical is an over-the-top mess of a film that starts off decently enough but quickly goes off the rails in an attempt to be as shocking as it can be. And instead of being shocking, it came across as desperate to me. It is coming to Max on Friday, February 2nd. John Cena and Alison Brie sleepwalk through the boring freelance, an action film that provides no interesting action scenes or storylines. It is coming to Hulu on Friday, February 2nd, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 115. And the Best Picture-nominated film Past Lives is a searing portrait of a woman torn between two lovers questioning how her life would have gone had circumstances turned out differently. It is an emotional film that will be streaming on Paramount Plus with Showtime beginning Friday, February 2nd, and it will also be returning to theaters for Best Picture showcases in the coming weeks if you want to see it on big screen. To hear my full review, listen to episode 92. And finally, it's time for my weekly take on the state of the Oscar races. This is Oscar Outlook. So this past week, we saw all the Oscar nominations announced, and I want to discuss my thoughts on each of the major categories. In Best Supporting Actor, I predicted that the nominees would be Robert De Niro, Robert Downey Jr., Willem Dafoe, Ryan Gosling, and Mark Ruffalo. I got four out of five of those right, with um, Sterling K. Brown, with his surprise nomination, replacing my prediction of Willem Dafoe. It doesn't matter because I think this category is absolutely a lock. I think Robert Downey Jr. is going to get it unless something shockingly happens between now and March. I can't see that not happening. In Best Supporting Actress, I predicted Emily Blunt and Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, Jodie Foster in Nyad, Sandra Hewler in The Zone of Interest, and Davine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. Again, I got four out of five correct replacing Hewler with America Ferreira for Barbie, and that was a shocking nomination. Um, I will say, in predicting Hewler, I put her in both actress and supporting actress because I didn't think she was going to be a double nominee, but I knew she was going to show up in one of those categories. Um, I think she showed up in the better one. Again, this is another category that is absolutely locked. Davine Joy Randolph is going to win this, unless something shocking happens between now and then. Um, although my favorite is Danielle Brooks in A Color Purple, and I correctly predicted that she was going to be the only nominee for that film, above and below the lines. And that's a shame, because that film deserved more love. In Best Actor, we had, I predicted, Bradley Cooper and Maestro, Coleman Domingo and Rustin, Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction, and I got five for five. This is a tight race uh, that I think the Screen Actors Guild Award will determine who's going to win. 
I think it's between Paul Giamatti and Killian Murphy. I'm leaning toward Giamatti for now because I think he has the overdue narrative and the film is just so lovely and I think people will want to reward it um, outside of Davine Joy Randolph. For Best Actress, we predicted Lily Gladstone in The Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hewler in Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, Margot Robbie in Barbie, Emma Stone in Poor Things. Now, I did say that Margot Robbie was vulnerable to being left out, and sure enough, she was being replaced with Annette Bening and Nyad. This is another tight race. I think people are presuming that Lily Gladstone's going to win, but Emma Stone is coming on strong, and I think the winner of the SAG is going to win the Oscar. I'm leaning towards Stone for now. Best Director, I predicted Jonathan Glazer, Zone of Interest, Yorgos Lanthimos and Poor Things, Christopher Nolan and Oppenheimer, Alexander Payne and The Holdovers, and Martin Scorsese in Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, Alexander Payne was left out, I got four for five, and he was replaced with who I picked to be my dream nominee, who is Justine Trier for Anatomy of a Fall, and I was very happy about that, although I would have liked to see Alexander Payne in there as well. Um, there's a bunch of hullabaloo about Greta Gerwig not being nominated here, but if you listen to that episode, you'll know that I predicted that she was going to be left out because I think Barbie is too, well, I don't want to say that, but not prestige enough for the Director's Guild to think it merits a nomination. And sure enough, that's what happened. And in Best Picture... I predicted American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest, and I got 10 for 10. Um, I think this one's Oppenheimer's to lose. There's just no way I can see anything else winning except possibly The Holdovers, because the Best Picture category is ranked voting, and I think The Holdovers is just so lovely that it would be hard for people to rank that toward the end of the 10 list. Um, Whereas Oppenheimer is pretty divisive and sometimes can be a chore to watch and that may work against it. But I do think it's Oppenheimer's to lose. And if it does lose, it's going to lose to the holdovers. Um, there weren't many snubs or surprises. I know they say it every year about who was snubbed, who was who was shocking in the nominees. I think the only one that was a surprise to me was America Ferreira. And even then, I thought she could possibly sneak in. Um, so I think everyone in there gave a great performance. And I think it's a very, very solid set of nominees. Looking at the awards calendar, the next major awards coming up will be February 10th with the Directors Guild of America Awards, um, followed by, it looks like, the BAFTA Awards on the 18th. So look for those awards to maybe shake up some races, but we'll see. So that's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. Thank you so much for listening this week. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can drop me a line at theatershoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at theatershoveit 
and rate me wherever you get your podcast. Check back later this week for the February edition of Trailer Talk and then come back next week to hear reviews of the latest new releases, including the action comedy Argyle and the fertility comedy Scrambled. Until then, I hope you all have a great week and I'll catch you next week. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.